All right, Wednesday night on the fan pregame, a jam-packed show, big night on the network tonight. We've got Wednesday night hockey, joined by David Amber in about 30 minutes, Buffalo and Montreal at 7, followed by potential Stanley Cup final preview with Boston and Edmonton at 10 p.m. We also have a special guest in studio just several feet away from me. Sarah Nurse of PWHL Toronto will be with us in a second (laughs) to discuss the in-season resurgence for PWHL Toronto and her initiative with Rogers Nursing Night. Regionally and on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, we're going to be back at 930. We're going to have a quick dinner, come back in the studio. Uh, Leafs and Coyotes, Matthews could hit 50 in the desert tonight. Nye's primed for his first NHL homecoming game in Arizona as well. Coyotes on a 10-game losing streak. What could go wrong? We're going to get into it later in the evening, so you'll hear from us in a few hours. And finally, Vince Carter let us know what jersey he would wear into the Hall of Fame if basketball players wore jerseys into Hall of Fames. Of course, we'll do best bets to tie up the show. All right, let's bring in Sarah Nurse. I wore my PWHL Toronto blue uh, to have you in our studio for a first time with uh, the fan pregame. Thanks for coming on, Sarah. Thank you. Oh, I had to. Is it on? Okay, wow. You sound great. I'm professional. (laughs) (laughs) We're killing it. Uh, So glad to have you on. I think we had you on in the morning show before, but this is much better. You got TV, you got 6 p.m. But honestly, this is kind of cool. It's good, right? You're happy? Okay, good. Uh, I know you're a busy girl, so uh, we got lots to go through with you. But Justin mentioned off the top, Toronto, you know, you guys didn't have the hottest start to the season but it's been really great watching the turnaround over the last couple weeks what would you attribute that to with how pwhl toronto has has kind of found their own yeah i think we had a very tough start and (laughs) i think once we figured out how to manage emotions um throughout games throughout events i mean we are part of the first ever pwhl game like that that's a that's a super peak right and so um, being able to come out of that game, uh, we dropped a couple after that. And I think we just started focusing on things that we could control, um, having one or two focuses in game and being able to really lean back and fall back on that. And it's been working for us. That's an interesting one, managing emotions, because, you know, I mean, if you're handicapping, and Ailish is like the sharp for PWHL <laughs> betting, by the way, if you're handling, uh, you know, we're talking about early season, like who handled the emotions the best, because there's so many different variables, right? Like going into a new season, new teammates, new teams and sweaters and jerseys and everything was new just handling that would have been a task in itself absolutely um uh, we were basically like we didn't dip our toe and we literally dove into this thing um all the players all the staff and so for us we definitely had a, a bit of a tough start but being able to understand that you know not only in game but managing everything outside the media there's been so much buzz and momentum surrounding our league our sport our games and so it's been fantastic. But at the same time, that's new territory completely for us. So being able to, you know, handle Toronto media a little bit, which mm-hmm. is uh, been We're really pretty nice. interesting. Come on. <laughs> We're too nice. We're, we we got to get nice. a Yeah, we've been winning and you guys have been really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, but it's sad you say that because we did our first ever PWHL power rankings and I had to, it was like the first two weeks of the season and I had to put Toronto last. I know. And I felt like, oh no, I'm part difficult. of the bad narrative. But now you guys are right up there. So. Now, we're, now we're at the that's top, it, right? That actually inspired you. You're like, there you Ailish go. on was, the Bambri game roasted That might have been the turnaround. Right? It, it might have. Uh, speaking of turnarounds, uh, or just like hot starts, I guess, Natalie Spooner since having a baby. Like that's, she's got mom strength. Something's going on. Rivalry series, PWHL Toronto. Does she, like, she's doing something different or she's just, she's come out like, hey, I got, I'm mom strength. I'm, I'm ready to rock. She 100% has mom strength, but <laughs> she is like herself through and through. Like she hasn't changed one bit since having Rory and. Um, it, it's been so impressive because, you know, I joke around with her and being like, everything you touch goes in the back of the net. So I just try to get you the puck. <laughs> yeah. But it takes an incredible amount of skill to do what she does. Like, I I know that for me, like, I'll take a shot on net. Mm. 
Sometimes I don't follow it up. Sometimes I don't stop in the net. But she does every single time, and that's how she scores goals. So she knows her bread and butter, and she's playing it to her fullest. Uh, we're coming off a, uh, a pretty landmark weekend for the PWHL Battle on Bay Street. Ailish was in attendance with about 45 uh, Dartmouth alumni. Uh, and I <laughs> up, think, up they green. That's yeah. us. <laughs> and I think the night, like the entire season, kind of a microcosm, right? Because it exceeds everyone's expectations. I'm sure it exceeded your expectation. That's kind of been the story of the year when we were talking about it. It's like everyone's kind of surprised by how much it is delivering. And that night obviously delivered in a historic way. So when you're experiencing Battle on Bay Street, like what, did anything surprise you? Was it a, a moment where you're like, wow, actually this is this is way more than I expected it to be? Yeah, I've always had so much confidence in, you know, our, our player group and our game and what we have to offer. But this has exceeded all expectations of mine and, and for this league. And if you would have told us a year ago that professional women's hockey would have sold out Scotiabank Arena and been the highest, uh, the, the biggest crowd in women's hockey history, like, I don't know if I would have believed you. And I think that's a huge testament to not only where we're at as a sport, but also um, the hockey market that is, you know, Toronto, the GTA and here in Ontario. And so um, that was a pretty special game to be a part of. And I've, I've never felt the uh, buzz in a building like that before. Was it uh, deafening at times? Because I'm in the stands and when you guys got your first goal and when they also put up the record history uh, number on the video board, I got chills like trying to just listen into the moment. And they zoomed in on you quite a lot on the bench. You're just <laughs> smiling. Everyone was so happy. But yeah. just like hearing that, it's di- Mattamy's not got, what, they've got about 3,000? Yeah, you heard 19,000 people cheering. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was deafening in there. Like there were a lot of times that you can't hear whistles. You can't hear things that our coaches are trying to say. We're trying to talk to each other on the ice like you can't hear. Um, and so just the electricity. It's a good problem to have. It's a great problem to have. <laughs> like if I can't hear a whistle, hey, what can you do? Just keep playing. Just keep playing. But no, the, the electricity in that building was absolutely incredible. It's funny. Actually, I was watching Montreal and Minnesota on Sunday and Minnesota didn't hear a whistle yeah. at, um, at Bell Place where the, where the Montreal team was playing. And there's about two seconds left. So this is a total side tangent. And they were down one goal and yes. they just stopped playing. And afterwards, they were asked about it, and they had just had a sellout crowd, too. And the girls were like, we, we thought that the whistle had blown. So maybe they didn't invest in louder whistles and Actually, maybe louder though. sirens because they stopped playing and they could have tied the game up. But yeah. you guys didn't have to worry about that on Friday night. Uh, so I'm in attendance Friday, and there's a really special moment on the video board uh, where we get to see that Rogers and yourself team up for nursing night, the very first ever, um, where a, a donation of $50,000 to Black Girl Hockey Club was made. Um, and so obviously part of, of why we want to talk to you today, because not only are you an amazing hockey player, a great teammate, a leader in what you do. You're, you've taken this moment in your inaugural season with the PWHL to not make it about you, but to give back to those in the community. Like, as we said, you're a busy girl, but you're making it more about others. So tell us about how Nursey Night got together and, and what you're planning to do with this. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Me and like my, my agent, my manager, we joke around. It started with like two tickets in a dream. Mm-hmm. And it was just me <laughs> thinking that I could use my personal tickets and um, I know my family's not in attendance every single game. So using those tickets yeah. and, and bringing young girls to experience professional women's hockey. Mm-hmm. And as we started talking about it more and more, uh, it just kind of snowballed and evolved into something that I couldn't even 
have dreamed of. Um, we started talking. We wanted to bring Black, Blacker Hockey Club on board. Um, they're doing amazing work mm-hmm. in making the sport, obviously, a super inclusive environment. So um, leveraging them and their network. And then my league wanted to get involved. And then Rogers obviously coming in with that $50,000 donation for programming and funding of Black Girl Hockey Club Canada. Um, and so that night was amazing. Like the girls got to sit in a suite. They got food. They got swag bags, free stuff. We got to meet each other after the game. Um, and it was just such a special night. Like I, I thought back to when I was a child, like I never got to go to professional sporting events, let alone like sit in a suite. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it it was just a special, you know, for me to be able to see them having that opportunity. Um, and so we're going to continue with it throughout the season. Um, and hopefully it just keeps snowballing into something that's uh, pretty amazing. What's a nursey night look like when you're not playing hockey or giving back like Sarah nurse (laughs) at home? Like what's a nursey night under your terms exclusively? Yeah. I was just talking about it, but like I have like an on and off switch and it's it's nursey night at my home. It's (laughs) off. So I'm marinating with Romeo on my couch. Nice. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Um, you were also involved in a lot of the NHL all-star weekend stuff um, on and off the ice, you know, from, from the three on three showcase, obviously, but being on the ice for the skills competition, being a part of some other podcast, getting to see Justin Bieber uh, doing stuff um, all around the city. You know, what was that weekend like? I know you've participated in other you know, similar type weekends, but this is the first with the PWHL. Mm-hmm. It was a blur. Yeah. And I, I think like the best way to just like to describe that weekend, one, it was in Toronto. So everything was heightened. Mm-hmm. Like this is such a huge hockey market. The city was absolutely buzzing, but we also had a game that weekend. So not only were we doing all these events, um, doing all this press and this media, but I had a game on Saturday morning. <laughs> and so I had to prepare for that. We had to practice for that. Um, but it was huge to be able to use the NHL's platform, but actually have our own league. Uh, we were at the NHL All-Star Game in 2020. We played Canada, USA in that little three-on-three right. uh, series. And we were lost at that point. Our league had just folded. We didn't know what we were going to do. And so to be here four years later with our ducks in a row and having figured everything out, um, was pretty monumental. I, I think one of the most special things about your guys' start is how much you and other important players for the league were involved in just like setting the parameters. Like you guys have talked and a lot of people have talked about, hey, we want the game to be more physical. So you just made it as physical as you mm-hmm. wanted to. But I wonder if when you guys were having discussions about what the plan was going to be and what the responsibilities and how you guys wanted to look, did you guys talk about being visible? Because it seems like all you guys are using your platforms for the best. Like, you, you're like you really making it a point to put yourselves out there. Did you guys make a point collectively to do that? Or are you guys just about that life uh, <laughs> yeah. I- I- individually? I think that because we've lacked that professional infrastructure, like, we haven't had anything to promote us mm. in the last few years. And so, like, I look at myself, like, I didn't have a team or a league to promote me. I had to build a platform for myself. And so every single other woman who I play with has had to do the same mm-hmm. thing. Um, And when we talk about having those conversations about this league and how involved we were with decision-making and what this looks like today, um, we realized that we had the opportunity to literally start from scratch and do what we wanted to do. And, you know, if we wanted the game to be more physical, everybody talks about women's hockey has no hitting. So, hey, let's throw hitting in there. You can't use that as a crutch or an excuse to not watch women's hockey. And so um, that's just been one little thing. Different rule changes, the jailbreak rule. It's like, so much fun. So much fun. We've had so <laughs> many people from different sports leagues reach out and be like, that's such a great rule. We need to implement that. Us having three points for wins. Like, mm-hmm. we've just tried to be innovative and, and differentiate ourselves a little bit from the NHL while still, obviously, keeping the traditions of hockey. I, I think what's been really inspiring uh, for me is you get hit in the face with PWHL content. Like, if you don't want to see it, too bad. Like, too bad. it's when you turn on your TV, <laughs> it's, it's at the bar. It's if you're on TikTok, you guys are all like yeah. 
on there now. Mm. Uh, you want to see the walk-in outfits? You're going to see them, and they look great, by the way. Everyone's looking awesome, and, <laughs> and they're putting out so much content that's consumable, and it's easy to, to go on YouTube and watch a hockey game from mm. all over the world. The other day I was on one of the streams because I like to see how many people were watching. It was 15,000 people, and in the chat... Somebody said they were they were watching from Brazil. Somebody yeah. said they were watching from the the UK. And I've like, heard Australia. Yeah, like, and you're just like that. Never was an opportunity before. And yeah. when we played in the CWHL, sometimes the arenas were were two three hundred people, and yeah. you guys still got to meet kids after the game. But it was they had to be there. They had to wait afterwards to, to see. But now they can watch with their friends. They can watch online. They can watch on TV. So it's been awesome. It's it's so easy to consume the content and you guys make a lot of, of really great content yourself. Uh, one thing that's coming up is a takeover weekend heading to Pittsburgh. Uh, another game will be in Detroit. How exciting is it to already be exploring new markets? You're not even halfway through your season. We're talking about maybe Pittsburgh would want a team. <laughs> the talk of expansion has it's been crazy. pretty rampant, which is which is a great problem to have. I mean, when we think about our inaugural six markets, mm-hmm. um, what people don't understand is that there were so many other markets in the works and in the talks. And so to be able to go to a Pittsburgh and see uh, how we're able to do there, see how we're marketed there. Um, you know, it's like a, it's a little bit of a test, a little bit of a tryout. And it's excited that, you know, they want to bring us in, that Detroit wants to bring the girls in um, because these are possible markets that we could be at in the future. I think one of the advantages you guys have built in right now is the fact that you had an international break and you have the rivalry series, because I think about things that really, really work in sports and soccer is the biggest game globally. Mm-hmm. When they can have international breaks and all of a sudden you're cheering for your country rather than your club, it's something that just works on so many levels, keeps it fresh. Mm-hmm. Is the rivalry series going to be and still be like prioritized? Is it important? Because you have the league now. You're playing each other and everyone's watching on YouTube and across all networks in Canada and the United States. Is that still going to be like really, really important for the league moving forward? Or is there reason to move off like things like the rivalry series? Mm -hmm. I think from like a player load management perspective, I think there's benefit in pulling back a little bit. I don't think there's benefit in completely scratching the whole series, (laughs) but understanding that like we played like three games in five days with Team Canada and Team USA the other day and then have our regular season to come back to, you know? And so that definitely does get very difficult, but you're never going to get better than national pride and you're never going to get better than Canada, you know, USA. And we have this incredible professional league that people can watch us, you know, all season long, but like people get behind Team Canada and Team USA. And so I think that as the season or as the league progresses, um, if we do end up scaling back a little bit, like that just makes the buzz and the excitement for a world championship yeah. all that more exciting. And just around the corner, another one to come. Uh, before we let you go, so Roger is teaming up with you for Nursing Night. There's another one on March 8th. Uh, I wonder if there's a way that listeners can get involved, whether it's with Black Girl Hockey Club or a way that uh, they can just know more about what you're doing and how to follow and to support. Yeah, I mean, all of my socials, most of them are Nursey16, uh, but <laughs> being able to go to blackgirlhockeyclubca.org um, to get all the information about Nursing Night and also the initiatives that they're all putting on because they're absolutely incredible. Um, all the programming and, uh, you know, their work to make hockey the most inclusive space, like it's something that's so necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not only for black people, black girls, like it's for everybody. Um, it's for allies and, and it's really to help make our game the best possible place.
Amazing. Well, we're so glad to have you a part of our team. Uh, and go Peter Rachel Toronto. I'm wearing my Peter Rachel Toronto t- uh, yeah, get the red shirt. sweater out when we're I, sure. I, count, so, you know, I just want everyone to have fun and win. Uh, you just have so many friends. Yeah, it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice thing to have. Uh, but we appreciate your time. I know you've had a busy one. Uh, and we'll continue to make sure everybody knows where to follow and how to support. And we'll see you we're on the ice Friday night yeah, here at home. We're back so. in. And we'll yeah, get that CWHL scouting report on Ayla's show. Yeah, there we go. There's not much. My three shifts. Laura Stacy, uh, ball hockey at three goals in the championship. You're right. Mm-hmm. That I was remember actually that. true. And the Beaver Celebrity Game. I heard yeah, a lot of goals are going into. And I did score that one too. So Maybe I go. should have been a ball hockey player. <laughs> I would be. I'd be having my own Ailish nights. Yeah. It's not too late. You're right. It, we'll make that a comeback. <laughs> anyway, Sarah Nurse, of course, of PWHL Toronto and Canadian women's hockey team. Uh, thanks so much, Nurse. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, just as a quick recap for those that missed it, uh, Friday uh, was an amazing opportunity. $50,000 uh, donated by Rogers for the Black Girl Hockey Club. And in partnership with Sarah Nurse, you'll be able to see lots of nursey nights coming up for PWHL Toronto. The next one is March 8th, uh, as Nurse mentioned. Follow her socials, follow all the socials, uh, Blacker Hockey Club, to make sure you get involved and support. Uh, it's been a great season, a great turnaround for PWHL Toronto. Uh, they are quickly up at third in the league now with 17 points. Boston falling down the rankings at the very bottom, which is surprising because yeah. they've got a lot of firepower. But this is the thing about such a short, compact season is you can't let a slide of two, three games in a row happen. We've already seen trades in the PWHL because – it's so compact that if you fall behind, it's hard to get back in. Well, also the importance of innovation and the importance of three-point wins for regulation wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, regulation wins. Uh, PWHL Toronto has five of them so far. They do have five losses in regulation, mm-hmm. but their six and five overall record puts them in third in the standings because, hey, they've racked up regulation wins worth three points. So if we're talking about how the PWHL might change, you know, hockey just in general, if you're looking at this leaderboard or these standings and the way that this season functions and maybe the first couple seasons function and you think hey this is more representative of what the standings should look like maybe the nhl takes its cues Mm. from the pwhl here and 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 decides hey this is a better way of grading the teams based on uh, you know the success uh and and the quality of wins throughout a regular season i'm pretty sure i had that three-point ranking system when i played like I guess, midget or junior hockey. Because I remember it being so important when you'd have an opportunity to get a regulation win when it came down to playoff seedings and stuff. I'm surprised that Hmm. we don't see it more often. Um, But I I think it makes this way more intriguing because you're right. Like, I'm looking at the roster or the rankings here. Five wins and two overtime wins is is really a valuable way to get these points and it can make a big yeah. difference that's why I, I was mentioning quickly that the Montreal uh, and Montreal and Minnesota game where Montreal was up by one goal and Minnesota stopped playing with two or three seconds left in the offensive zone because they stopped they thought they heard a whistle and that was with uh, another sellout crowd another record for Montreal it was uh, 10,000 plus people just on a Sunday afternoon that came to a game so I'm excited I'll be in Montreal this weekend to see them play Ottawa, uh, which will be a really great one. Um, but yeah, get as much PWHL action as you can. Uh, and just to illustrate the way these standings works, Montreal or Toronto, five wins in regulation. Mm-hmm. They have the same number of wins total compared to New York, but they're four points up in the standings because yeah. three of New York's wins have come in overtime. And maybe that's too much. Maybe four points for three overtime wins or beyond regulation wins is maybe more drastic mm-hmm. than you want it to. But it does definitely put an emphasis on winning in regulation. 
Sarah Nurse second in Toronto scoring with six points. Nally Spooner, she had like back-to-back hat tricks. She's like Bobby McMahon and Austin Matthews yeah. out there. She's got 11 points. Uh, combined. So, the two yeah. of them combined. She's, she's pulling off uh, uh, quite a lot herself there. Uh, so they'll be back in action on uh, Friday night here in, in Toronto. Um, let's get to one more Toronto-related-ish story. We were talking about it off the top, but... Vince Carter, of course, been in the news the last couple of days as being one of the finalists to be inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame. He was speaking today on FanDuel TV's Run It Back, asked about, you know, when you enter the Hall of Fame, which I didn't also know you don't actually wear a jersey. You're just, you know, inducted. It's kind of like a hypothetical Hypothetical. Thing. This is what he had to say about if you'd want to go in as a Toronto Raptor or not. I got to ask, what, which jersey are you rocking Hall of Fame if you had to choose Toronto. one? Both legendary stops. Yeah. Toronto. Mm. Toronto. It, 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 I mean, it has to be. That's where it started. That's where it all, you know, to continue the, the rise. Yes, I had great years in Jersey, but it started there. And my confidence and, and, and understanding the player that I, I, I could be in the league was, was trending upwards still in Toronto. I mean, that's, I mean, most Toronto Raptors fans probably feel pretty honored about that, pretty excited about that. Uh, there was obviously a period of time where, Vince Carter and the Toronto Raptors relationship was a bit frayed. I think we've come back to loving and maybe strides taken towards being back. I don't know if everyone's fully back, but this would this not bring you back? If, I don't. If he wants to come into the Hall of Fame, it's a problem. It's not real, right? Like in, in Cooperstown, uh, you actually wear a hat, and if he wore the hat or wore the jersey, and it was something that was actually part of it, maybe it would mean mm. more. Again, this is just a hypothetical. I guess the thing that stands out for me is like he's kind of a man without country. Like, he doesn't have affiliation. His affiliation is predominantly the Toronto Raptors. Played seven seasons with the Raptors, but again, ended on such horrible terms. And now everyone is trying to decide for themselves if they really want to welcome him back into the family. Like, this is an ongoing thing that's maybe getting a a little less uh, emotional, Mm. but people are still making those decisions for themselves as we go. He spent five seasons with New Jersey, three with Dallas, three with Memphis, Parts of two, Atlanta, two, Orlando, right. uh, Sacramento, and Phoenix. Like this is a this is a player and one of the rare all time greats who doesn't have a team that it's like, oh, we want you back and we want to celebrate you every single time we get the chance, which is a little bit strange and a little bit sad, honestly. I think Vince Carter did a lot for basketball in Canada. I think that would make a make Canadian basketball fans probably have a, a pretty deep relationship with growing up like maybe as me growing up in the era where you remember Vince Carter as a rapper you remember the dunk contest you remember you know that stretch of time those iconic jerseys I, I picture Vince Carter as being a face of that obviously as you mentioned the career didn't end here it wasn't always here with the Toronto Raptors but having him want to be a Raptor in the Hall of Fame I think that means a lot I also think there's this discussion we were even having off air is do they hang his jersey in the rafters first at Scotiabank Arena, or are they reserving that for Kyle Lowry? Because Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time, arguably. Vince Carter might be somebody that has a little bit more of a of a lore in, t- in terms of like the growth of Toronto Raptors basketball. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go into the Hall of Fame possibly next year and you're Vince Carter, does that mean that you jump over the preference or the ranking of getting Kyle Lowry's number retired? The, Toronto Raptors have no numbers retired, right? So somebody has to be the first. And is it going to be Vince Carter? Is it going to be Kyle Lowry or a bunch of people at once? For me, uh, I'm not actually much of a Vince Carter hater. Like, I, I do think he belongs in the Raptors organization in some way, shape, or form, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. 
I do believe Kyle should go in first. Mm-hmm. This the thing with Vince is like it, it it can't be first because it has to be someone who who reached Kyle's heights, but also didn't leave on this on the terms that Vince did. Mm-hmm. Like I I'm not this type of person that also thinks like oh, wow, basketball would have never thrived in Toronto without Vince Carter. Like, I think people would have played basketball in this country and loved basketball in this country if Vince Carter didn't play for the Toronto Raptors. However, he did have an immense impact. I just, if you're, like, comparing the two, I think Vince has to go in after Kyle Mm -hmm. because Kyle's career, Kyle's importance to the Raptors is just a little bit more ahead than it is with Vince. And I think then you can kind of start the process because you can include DeMar DeRozan in this conversation, Pascal Siakam, get there one day. I don't know about Chris Bosh, but th- this is going to involve Brian a lot. Van Vliet? This is going to a lot. Maybe it's going to lo- involve a lot of players eventually, though. Uh, I just think it can't start without starting point. The starting point being Kyle Lowry. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Kyle Lowry guy, so you have no debate with me on that one. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think he's probably one of the front runners to get in Vince Carter for this upcoming uh, Hall of Fame inductee. But it was nice to see a lot of people sharing Vince Carter memories today because. He chooses the Raptors if he gets that opportunity. Um, all right, David Amber is going to join us after the break. Tonight, uh, a big game on the network, a big doubleheader on the network. Buffalo-Montreal, I mean, it's still big, but I would say that Boston and Edmonton at 10 p.m. is probably uh, the must-watch. We've got Toronto and Arizona on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and regionally we'll be teeing that up all next with David Amber, who joins us on the fan pregame. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the fan pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, a big doubleheader on Wednesday night hockey, Buffalo and Montreal, followed by Boston and Edmonton, maybe a Stanley Cup final preview. Uh, regionally, we've got Toronto in the desert to face Arizona on Sportsnet Ontario, and we'll have the pregame. We'll be back on the air at 9.30. We're going to go have a quick burger, maybe? Burger? What do you want? I don't know. I'm going to need something, though. We're going to need something. We're getting back. We're going to come back into this office at 9.30. we got to eat something. Uh, fuel up for what could be... A big night ahead. Uh, let's bring in David Amber, of course, of Monday Night Hockey and NHL on Sportsnet. Uh, David, how's it going? Good. It's funny you say burgers. Uh, as soon as I'm done this interview, I'm going to throw some burgers on the barbecue, and then I'm going to rush into work to uh, get ready for Austin Matthews versus uh, <laughs> the Arizona Coyotes to score his 50th tonight, which I'm guaranteeing is going to happen. So we're going to come by. Uh, we'll be off there around 7. <laughs> yeah. We'll be at your house probably like 7.15. Um <laughs> I like a so little three more. We're gonna. I like share, a little cheese on my burger, but I'm not gonna get picky. Like whatever the Amber household has, like I'll take. Like we're clearly we're, in the same we're boat. <laughs> we're ready for you. Come on over, Alicia. We uh, love it. And Justin, you're welcome too. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank uh, you. I got a. Well, she invited herself. Yeah, but, I did. Uh, yeah, I'm, I uh, actually tried to invite myself to Kipper's house too when he was yeah, leaving. Uh, there's no shame at all. There's absolutely. But no you shame. guys are all on the panel later, and I was like, "What are you guys doing in between the shows?" And I said, "Kipper, we're coming over," and he was like. Uh, he thought about it for about he, a half but second. But then I think he felt bad saying, like, no, don't ever ask to come to my house. So, anyway, we try. You got to try. Um, Austin Matthews, 50 tonight. Yeah, we blew, by, we blew by a guarantee. Yeah, but so we're coming back on it. You guarantee Austin Matthews will score his 50th goal in Arizona. How much are we putting I'm on feel- it? Okay. I mean, I'm feeling. Are you guys not feeling that? Yes, I mean, of course. Yeah. He's, it's the perfect setting, right? He's back mm-hmm. home, friends and family. He scores more often than he doesn't score, so... 
you know, Vegas odds say he's going to be scoring at least one goal tonight. I, I can't see how it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it does seem, as you mentioned, too perfect. Uh, 50 is just 20 less than 70. And all of a sudden, we're starting to talk about 70 goals and 75 and just r- ridiculous possibilities uh, when about five years ago, the benchmark for like a quality goal score in the NHL was 30. Everyone's just blowing by that number. And it's Matthews that is setting the pace. But if we, you know, we love big round numbers and 70 would be the biggest round number that we've talked about in a while. Does that just immediately thrust him into Hart Trophy uh, consideration, uh, a nomination, a win? Like what does 70 goals do for Austin Matthews? We talked about this on our show Monday afternoon for the Leafs uh, St. Louis Blues match. And um, Elliot Friedman brought up a point. If you look historically, first of all, so few players have scored 70 goals. But generally when a player scores 70 goals, uh, he either wins the MVP or the person who's making all the uh, p- passes and assists mm-hmm. to that person wins the MVP. Um, and that was also in a, at a time when it wasn't so abnormal. You know, you had Gretzky and Lemieux and Brett Hull and Curry and Solani, et cetera. Like you kind of had a group of players within a 15-year period. We haven't seen this in 30 years. So I think by virtue of that, right, we haven't seen since Solani and McGillney scored 70 back in 92, 93. We've not seen someone hit that mark. If Austin Matthews scores 70, he's certainly setting himself up for a second hard trophy. I mean, it would be, listen, other things can happen, certainly, but he'd be putting himself in a very good position to win the heart. And, and what's most impressive to me is, you know, he's not sort of a power pay, power play merchant, right? He has a nine more even strength goals than anyone in the league. And when you look at a guy who's on the cusp of 50, there's not even a 40 goal. There's not another 40 goal score in the league right now. So he's lapping the field in terms of goal scoring itself. So it's it, by whatever metric you want to use, it's really impressive what we're seeing from Austin Matthews. And if I'm not mistaken, zero goals uh, placed into an empty net, which I, I think does mean a lot. Like we gotta, we don't need asterisks on empty net goals, but I think you need to consider when you're splitting hairs with the likes of Nathan McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov, Connor McDavid in what mm. could be an unbelievable Hart Trophy race. Don't talk about yeah, I think it's actually, goals here. It gets yeah. intense. <laughs> I, I think there's uh, an Art Ross, um, you know, race. And I also think there's a, a, an incredible uh, MVP race. And I think you can make an incredible case for Nikita Kucherov. You can make a very strong, compelling case for Nathan McKinnon, who leads the league in even strength points. And you can make a very strong case, as you can every year, for uh, Connor McDavid, considering where the team was and considering where the team is and knowing he's the best player in the world, he certainly is one of the most valuable players each and every year. And if he does, and he's, I think, 13 points behind Nikita Kucherov, if Connor McDavid has this epic pace that he's on and he somehow but wins another Art Ross, he's certainly in that conversation. If he gets 150 points and wins the Art Ross, um, it's going to be a very interesting vote between, you know, possibly a guy who scores 70 goals and a guy who has 150 points and you know it'll be very it's going to be it's not going to be a unanimous decision by any means i know what we'll be talking about for the next couple months the uh, heart mm-hmm. trophy tracker it'll keep us with lots of content uh, to come so uh, leafs went five and zero uh in the riley absence so far four no four no sorry five and sorry tonight. they're going for five and oh but you know you're guaranteeing not... a win tonight Ailish. We're, yeah, just, we're, we're full <laughs> guarantees on the show we're blowing Actually, by the arizona say, coyotes, coyotes are on a 10 game losing streak and i it just feel like it could be a trap game anyway so they could go five and oh in riley's absence uh, obviously he's back tomorrow against the vegas golden knights everyone's drawing some conclusions because that the the record without morgan riley's is pretty stunning what do we learn about just playing without morgan riley is this a better uh, attention to defense is this maybe morgan riley was getting too much ice time and he was run down like can we learn something from his absence 
I, I think it was the former. I, I think they look at the personnel back there and the personnel themselves back there, and they say, we have to play a different style. We have to be more disciplined. Uh, it's a lot of live to see another day. Uh, Le Joie and Benoit and, you know, Raffier, who, who they threw in last game. Mm-hmm. These guys aren't afraid to just bank it off the glass, live to see another day, um, make the safe pass, um, you know, stay within the confines of where they're comfortable playing on the ice. And I think all those things are deliberate. And the forwards probably look back there and they don't see Morgan Riley. And they also probably maybe make as as much of a concerted effort. We need to have, you know, F3 has to get back, F2 get back. Uh, you know, they're playing a more disciplined brand. And part of it is, and I don't want to diminish this four-game winning streak because it's been impressive, but they've beaten St. Louis twice, Philadelphia once mm-hmm. in overtime, and Anaheim. You know, you know, that's not the biggest test. They didn't go out there and beat Vegas and Edmonton and Boston mm-hmm. and et cetera. So uh, you can only play those on your schedule, but I think that's a byproduct of some of the success. Certainly they've played a, a greater brand of defensive hockey and the goaltending has been solid. And let's face facts. They have the greatest goal scorer in the game today in Austin Matthews, and he's been absolutely electric uh, in hat tricks in two of these four wins. So it's maybe a confluence of all those things has led to a perfect record without Morgan Riley. There's certainly a better team with Morgan Riley, but they've been playing a different brand of hockey without. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the strength of schedule though, I think this could be a galvanizing thing, right? You go five and zero potentially uh, without Morgan Riley, he comes back and everyone's feeling a bit better uh, than they did uh, before Ridley Craig pounded that puck into an empty net. Uh, Let's switch gears and go to the Oilers who are hosting the Boston Bruins in, as Ailish mentioned, a potential Stanley cup preview. Uh, I think what we've seen from the Oilers, not recently, because most recently they've just been scoring a bunch of goals again. But before they started scoring a bunch of goals again, they were getting comfortable in close games, at least it felt like to me, where they're just playing 2-1, one nothing games, and, and feeling good in the third period about holding leads, something this team historically has not really done well. Uh, they're playing 769 hockey since uh, Knobloch was hired. Next best is 713 over that stretch. They're clearly playing since the coaching change at a level that no one can match. But for you, DA, is there another level for this Oilers team to get to? Is there another level? Um, yeah, I mean, do I think they've had everything going at the same time? No. Uh, they certainly, during that 16-game run, had a lot going for them. Um, you know, we've seen in spurts of Vander Kane and how good he can be. We've certainly seen for the majority of the season how great Zach Hyman can be. Um, I'd like to think all these players. And Leon Dreisel, as good as he's been, you know, at then he's been on a nice little run right now there's probably more to give there, right? It hasn't been every single guy going off to to their potential, right? And certainly they weren't getting the goaltending at the early stages of the, of the season. So um, the Oilers, I really look at, I mean, they're the Stanley Cup favorites right now, at least in terms of Vegas odds and and how they're being viewed, you know, in the, uh, the outside world. Uh, I think when you have these players playing at their best, uh, the depth they have up front and their ability, as you've stated, to, to sort of play a, a stronger, uh, more meaningful and more purposeful defensive game. It's worked out really well for them. Do I think there's more? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think they're going to have to bring more. If they're going to win a seven-game series potentially against the defending champs, they're going to need to play their best hockey because Vegas is still, you know, the path to the Stanley Cup for the Edmonton Oilers is going to have to go through Vegas, whether it's in the first round or the second round. So, um, that being the case, 
Uh, they better be prepared for what's going to be just a drag them out, you know, brawl. We saw how good that Vegas team was last year, and Edmonton will have to have another level. And there's a lot of speculation out there. And before Gensel got hurt, there was a lot of speculation he'd be heading to Edmonton. I don't think they're done. I think they're going to add something before March 8th. Um, so we maybe haven't even seen the final iteration of what this uh, Oiler team will look like come playoff time. You're talking about knock them out, drag them out, brawl. Like the Bruins might be the perfect kind of measuring stick for a tough opponent to play and they're on the other side of the ice tonight against the Oilers uh, although they've been back and forth with the Panthers for the top of the Atlantic uh, they're just one point behind those two teams certainly still look like the measuring stick uh, in terms of the Eastern Conference so how do you think that they'll uh, fare tonight as the opponent for the Oilers uh, well Boston it's first of all Hampus uh, Lindholm just went uh, I'm not sure if they're put them on the LTIR but it's week to week yeah. with an undisclosed injury so that's a big injury for them uh, one thing of, of note, they just had a seven-game homestand following the All-Star break. They only won two of those seven mm. games. And they've looked a lot more um, pedestrian than the Bruins team that came out of the gate, you know, unbelievably to start the year. Uh, one thing I'll say is their goaltending, as good as Swayman and Allmark have been, and I believe it's Allmark and Net tonight, they've, you know, there's definitely been some cracks in their armor uh, in the last little stretch of games, they've looked much more like regular goalies as opposed to outstanding, you know, the best duo, the Jennings winner and the Vesna winners and everything else um, from a year ago. So uh, if they don't get elite, elite goaltending, I do wonder what this Boston team is. I still think they're very good, but all of us, including myself, you know, we all sort of thought they would take a step back. No Bergeron, no Krejci, uh, the wear and tear of last year. Uh, going to that record-setting regular season, and maybe also the emotional, you know, where would their psyche be after blowing a 3-1 series lead to the Florida Panthers? So I actually expected them to have some regression. It didn't happen, but I am wondering if they're coming a little bit down to earth right now. Yeah, and it's possible that they catch, or the Maple Leafs, uh, I mean by they, uh, catch the Boston Bruins at the right time. Uh, I, this Florida Panthers mm-hmm. team, I don't know if they're going to let off the gas. Like, they just look like they're at a different level uh, right now. Yeah. If they win the Atlantic Division, I-, I think it might actually be a good thing for the Maple mm-hmm. Leafs that they get the Boston Bruins in the first round. You would agree with that? Remember that we want Florida chance from a year ago? <laughs> yeah, we don't want Florida. <laughs> yeah. don't want in Florida. the city, you don't want Florida. <laughs> Florida is a unique, they're a unicorn. You know, Brian Burke used to call players unicorns, and and I would say they're a unicorn as a team because, you know, and Luke Gazdick, we were doing the show last night, and he, he laid it out really perfectly. Um, you know, they can finesse you, they can out-goaltend you, and quite literally they can just beat the wheels off you if they choose to. They're very comfortable playing that brand of hockey. They have the right personnel to do that, and it, it's really their comfort zone. You know, you, you saw the quotes from Matthew Kachuk, what was it, uh, before the, or after their Pittsburgh game. He goes, yeah, we were playing the first, like, 15 minutes as if there was no puck. Mm. You know, the puck would go in the corner, we are just there to hit, 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 and wear them down. Like, that's an old-school style of tenacity their forecheck is absolutely through the roof and they provide an opposition that we just don't see other teams right now have the personnel to do that and they're they run three four five guys deep who are very comfortable playing that brand of hockey so I, I think it might be a bit terrifying for any opponent in the first round and i think you might want to play them after they've already had their business with someone else and you had a chance to sort of feel your way through what it's going to be like. Uh, I would say right now the preferential matchup for the Leafs would be the Boston Bruins, and that's no disrespect to Boston. I think whoever the Leafs play in the first round at this point, they're going to go in as the underdog. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe the 
prefer to go up against Boston than up against that Florida juggernaut. Yeah, no scars there against Boston in the playoffs. Just totally, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally, totally, totally a settling feeling, David. Uh, yes, just face uh, Boston in that one. Uh, we do have these games on sports and, of course, coming up after us, Boston, uh, Boston, Buffalo and Montreal and Boston Edmonton. Let's go to Buffalo and Montreal. Uh, not as big of a, a Stanley Cup preview that the other game is. Uh, two teams obviously struggling significantly this season. Um I guess, like, which team would you put stock in if you had to? (laughs) Well, I'm really disappointed by Buffalo. I'll be honest with you. When this year started, we talked about Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo. One of those two teams, maybe two of those teams, possibly all three of those teams are really going to make a push to turn the Atlantic Division upside down a little bit. And it hasn't really happened. Detroit's played much better of late. Ottawa is still languishing near the bottom of the league, although they've been playing uh, better of late. And Buffalo, it's going to be a 13th straight year, barring some miracle in these final 27, 28 games. It's going to be a 13th straight year without making the postseason. And I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what's happened, but uh, you know, they certainly put a lot of stock in Levi being ready to take over the net. And we hadn't seen an NCAA goalie go in and have success in the NHL straight from NCAA hockey you know, since Tom Barrasso, I believe like that just doesn't generally happen. So maybe they put a little, a few too many eggs in one basket with him. Uh, but goaltending is only part of the issue. They give up so many high uh, scoring chances, high danger chances. Um, they have these great individual parts. Every, every team would want Dallin. Every team would want Owen Power. Every team would want Tage Thompson. I don't know why the sum of the parts just is less than the actual individual parts. Uh, it's dumbfounding on many levels. It's frustrating, certainly, to uh, the Buffalo Sabres fans. So they've been disappointing. Um, if you're asking me, you're, I've avoided your question not very well, but you've asked me which team to put stock in. Um, I mean, I think there's reasons to be encouraged for both teams. Um, Slavkovsky has been playing really well. He's only 19 years old. You know, he might be the best teenager in the world. You know, or, well, well, sorry, Connor Bedard's still there, but uh, he might be one of the best teenagers in the world, clearly. And um, you know, uh, Caulfield, Suzuki, they're continuing to grow. They have a young defensive core. They have a coach that everyone seems to be really engaged with and listening to. So there's growth there. They're going to have another high draft pick to build around. And Buffalo, um, they still have these great parts. I think they're, you know, in talking to people, they sounds like they might be in a position to move some of these parts because they just need to change up the feel of the team. Um, it doesn't mean trading Darlene or power, one of the foundational pieces, but some of the supplementary pieces that are there because they have a lot of good young talent. Um, I think there's reasons to have stock in both of these teams, but it's really difficult when you look at the top of that Atlantic mm-hmm. and you see Florida, Toronto, Boston, and Tampa, you know, four really formidable teams. So there's still another couple of steps and echelons below uh, the top teams in the Atlantic right now. Yeah, I think the worry with both might be that you didn't get enough when you were truly, truly bad, at least in terms of high-end young talent. Like if you're going to be in the the Chicago Blackhawks Bedard stage, get Bedard, Mm -hmm. right? And and neither of those teams, I don't think, despite getting really good pieces, uh, got someone like Connor Bedard. Uh, David Amber of of the NHL on Sportsnet on the line with us. Okay, so we know the Calgary Flames are the most interesting team, I think, at the deadline for in terms of Canadian teams because, hey, they, sure. might, they could sell off anything and, and they're going to be involved, uh, to say the least. But from a buying standpoint, what Canadian team piques your interest? Hmm. Well, by the way, Buffalo finished last and they could have had McDavid and they lost the lottery, right? They could have had Ekblad and McDavid. Instead, they got Sam Reinhardt, who's now in Florida, mm. and uh, <laughs> and Jack. And That'll Jack do it, right? Because you, you can't be bad that long, right? And if, if it just doesn't work, it, sometimes you got to shrug your shoulders. 
Yeah, in fact, Eichel and Reinhardt, the two guys who got picked second in those drafts, are now on different teams. So, um, but yeah, luck of the draw, I guess. Uh, as far as March 8th goes in the Canadian teams, yeah, Calgary's the most intriguing. They hold so many of the dominoes. As far as buyers, I don't know if you were listening to Real Kipper and Bourne before you guys came on air, and, you know, Kipper is like all in. You know, Matthews is 26, Marner's 27, Nylander's mm-hmm. 28. This has got, you, you can't be waiting on something. You've got to be all in it. The prospect of that would be very interesting and enticing. Uh, Edmonton would be very interesting and enticing, and I do think they're going to do something. Uh, Vancouver's already made, obviously, a couple of, of significant moves in Lindholm and Zadorov earlier. But, you know, I never will doubt Jim Rutherford, uh, uh, Patrick Alvin have something up their sleeve to add to their team. Um, I'm kind of naming a lot of teams here, so <laughs> they're all interesting. Everyone haven't named, I guess, is Winnipeg, but yeah. um, and who knows what the Jets are, are planning? I, I do think it's going to be a busy time. I, I think the window. I think you could say there's like ten teams that have Stanley Cup aspirations, and I think those four Canadian teams are probably in that group. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if any or all of them make significant moves to try and bolster their lineup. Um, Kevin Sheveldayoff's been very shrewd, you know, the signings, uh, with Hellebach and Shifley. And I bet you part of the discussion was we're, we're here to build something. We're not here just to plateau. And, you know, it's maybe a little trickier at times for Winnipeg. Um, they don't necessarily have endless uh, dollars to spend like some of the other Canadian franchises, but I think they do a very good job in getting the full value. They, they clearly at this point have won that, um, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, and it wouldn't shock me if Winnipeg's also in the market for something. Um, but right now, maybe the most enticing to me is Edmonton because I do I do just feel there is something. There's another shoe to drop there. They were linked to Gensel for a long time. Gensel gets hurt. Doesn't mean they're off the market for or adding a top six forward. So I'm really interested to see what they do. Yeah, March 8th trade deadline just around the corner suddenly. Uh, so lots to keep us excited for. I just want to say you did a great job hosting the NHL uh, draft. That was a crazy night, pretty <laughs> chaotic. and uh, it was but a wild it, was, one. it was really fun. Uh, so it was good to see you do that, uh, David, and uh, good to see you around the rink. Uh, we'll let you go, though, and we'll see you for burgers in about 15 minutes. So that's the plate. Swing on by. <laughs> we'll make a plan. We will make a plan. Perfect. Next time we have one of these like uh, split shifts for you guys, we'll get you over. I don't live too far from uh, OMP. So there we we'll, go. Uh, there you go. Definitely get that. Well, you just said that on TV, so it's recorded now, and uh, you have to look <laughs> it. Bummer, eh? I'll see you back in the building yeah, in a few hours. Perfect. Thanks so much, David. Appreciate your time. Nice uh, me on. David Amber of Monday Night Hockey, Wednesday Night Hockey, NHL and Sports, and Hockey Night in Canada, hosting the NHL Draft on uh, All-Star Weekend, <clears throat> et cetera, making uh, burgers for us shortly. Not to age you, but uh, best chance in your lifetime that a Canadian team wins the Stanley Cup this year? Oh, God. You're making me think that. I mean, it's not, really, it's not really a question. I think it's a statement. No, yeah. There's four yeah. really good, I not really good teams. We probably have to dial that back a little bit. But four teams out of eight, nine yep. at the top of the odds board, like we don't Definitely. generally get in terms that. Of, in terms of qu- quantity, quantity, yes. Quality, Seats at the I table. also think, I think quality could be argued as well. But quantity, like you have actually discussion that Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg. We didn't we didn't really touch on Winnipeg much, but there was a stretch where we were talking about how Winnipeg was one of the best teams in the NHL, and they still are. They just bit more quiet on our radar. Those four teams should be at least looking to make their teams better to then yes. go for a Stanley Cup. There's often times where the NHL uh, Canadian teams are like. We're all right. We'll see what happens, right? This is a time where most of these teams will probably be trying to be aggressive. So it's, I, I'm not really convinced on any of them, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not like, man, that, like, it's time. It's time for one of these teams. None of them, other than the Edmonton Oilers, maybe I could be convinced, especially mm-hmm. if they have a busy deadline. 
But I look around at the other contenders, and I'm not really convinced about anyone, which makes me think, hey, there's an even better chance because <laughs> not only are there seats at the table being occupied by, the, by Canadian teams, mm-hmm. but there's not really this alpha that's just mm-hmm. like, well, you got to go through them. Like the Florida Panthers are the only team Dallas has looked pretty that good. I think is like really, really scary. I know Dallas is good and Dallas could improve still, but really, really scary. I got Florida and I don't know how, if I got really anyone else. Edmonton could be that. Yeah. But Edmonton has found a couple moves away. Maybe Edmonton's found a way to not take advantage of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I think they got to show it first. Florida did show it last year. I think that's why there's some proof of concept there. What a rise to relevancy from Florida. They have this incredible Stanley cup playoff run where they kind of surprised everybody. We thought maybe that's a blip, you know, you peak at the right time. Well, they've just continued to peak. Right. So I think it's been incredibly impressive uh, and maybe a market that we wrote off in terms of, being a massive relevant hockey market. Don't think they're there yet, but their team is certainly proving that there's a lot to watch there in Florida. Uh, we have two minutes left to do some best bets for tonight. <laughs> Can we start with Stanley Cup quickly? Yeah. We asked the question yesterday, $10 future. Oh, I don't have it in front of me anymore, Justin. But who would you put it on? I, you had your answer yesterday. Mine's Florida. Like, I'm not, I, I, that's the one team I'm convinced about. Uh, I got to look at the odds. What are the odds on Florida? I think it's like nine to one. I mean, that's a pretty good bet. They're all in this like 9, scary. 10, 11, 12 to 1 range, all they're, these teams. They're pretty scary. Uh, I have it now in front of me. Um, Florida is 8 to 8. Yeah, 8.5 eight to 1. Oilers, 7.5 to 1. Vancouver, 9. Avs, 9. We watched those Colorado Avalanche. They so, were, I mean, it's the, if they were pretty good. If you're convinced on one of these times, it's time uh, teams it's time to buy because they're all just bunched together. There's nothing really separating them. I like the Avs 9-1. to one. We can get into it more tomorrow. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't prepared. Um, I am prepared to give you my best bet of the night, which is the Arizona boys. They're back in town. Matthews has 50 on the line. Matthew Nyes has 50 people in attendance. It's his first NHL game in Arizona. For both of them to score, Nyes and Matthews is plus 720 tonight. Desert Kings, the Arizona boys. Let's do it. Okay, so my pick is Boston and Edmonton over 6.5 plus 100. I think the Edmonton Oilers kind of have reached the point where they can play on their terms, which means Boston, I think, will have to score to keep up. But let's consider this one. The Maple Leafs have not been shut out since November 2021. Uh. <laughs> With a goal tonight, they become the 11th team in NHL history and the first in more than 30 years to go 200 straight games without being shut out. Carl Vimelka has been a bit of a boogeyman for the Maple Leafs over the years. 943 <laughs> total save percentage, 3-0 record. Leafs exact goal total, 20-1 to 1 if it's zero tonight. Shut out for Vimelka. Well, you can't have my some, bet and your bet happen at the I same know, time. So I know, but pick, I think it's one of the other. I folks. think it's one of the other. I do too. Either because the Maple the, Leafs go ham tonight and they win 8-2, or it is... Another one where the Coyotes have beaten the Maple Leafs four yeah. straight games. They just keep on rolling, and we put so much excitement in Matthews 50, and it's a dud. But when there's some either. sort of historical nugget or relevance to a game, sometimes it's, it's more often than not with the Maple Leafs, it just happens. Lots of revenge, revenge angles tonight. Uh, Alex Kerfoot getting the game winner. Who knows? Oh Domi, boy. Matthews, Nyes. Lots to come. We'll be back on the air at 930 on Sports at 590 yeah, to help you uh, after we go eat a burger. We'll see you then.